Welcome to episode 39 of the Rain Race Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing Lamaze's postponement to the middle of August, what it means for the prospects of fans at the track and the series in general. We're also going to be talking about the latest news and rumors from IndyCar, IMSA, and the World Endurance Championship. If you want to join us for future live episodes, you can go to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C slash GTRain. Once again, that's youtube.com slash C slash GTRain and join us in the live discussion. Until the next episode, enjoy. Episode 39 of the Tired Race Podcast here tonight. Uh, I am your host, Chris, joined alongside, as always, by my equally tired co-host, Kyle Cuthbertson. What's up? <laughs> you ready for an hour or so of the most energetic podcast in the world? Well, exactly. here you are. Yes. I don't know what it is today. I just woke up from um, like an hour or so nap, so I shouldn't have anything to complain about. Kyle's been tired all day. Ran Today's a red light. Days, it just like sucks for no reason. <laughs> You're just tired and just... You don't know why it sucks, but it sucks. Yes. But we had to do this, you know, we couldn't leave you hanging. We got this uh, whole weekly thing rolling with the exception of that one week that we didn't do it because I was doing homework and it's very important that we stick to that schedule. So the first thing we're going to talk about today on not any lighter news is the uh, 24 hours of Le Mans being postponed to August. I say it's not much lighter news, but I guess if we give it some context, it maybe uh, can be viewed in a brighter light. Anyway, so the headline right here is that the 24 Hours of Le Mans will be postponed to August 21st and 22nd. Um, the original date for that race was going to be June 12th through the 13th. Um, and the test day will be uh, postponed as well. Now, the thing that's interesting to note about that is this is the second year in a row that the 24 Hours of Le Mans has been postponed. Um same reason as before where last year it was postponed with the hope of being able to host fans um obviously the pandemic wasn't really improving by that point uh, you know like september-ish whenever they postponed it to the middle of september this year same story except we're in a little bit i wouldn't say a little bit we are in, you know we're in a more positive situation with the vaccine rollout and they actually have their eyes on the ball this time trying to get fans into the stands for this year's running um, so some things that are interesting about that, uh, first of all, are that I guess we can talk about the other schedule changes for the world endurance championship, which is now that the eight hours of Port Mau will not be the season opener. It has actually been moved to the June 13th date that Lama originally had. And that means the season opener will now be at Spa Francorchamps, which means hopefully we once again, we'll have Glickenhaus at the season opener. That's sort of been like an on and off thing, hasn't it? Where it's, you know, Glickenhaus has said, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll be there at the opener. No, we're not going to make it. We're going to try to, like, get more testing done on the car. Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna do it again because the, the season start has been pushed back. Oh, we can't make that anymore. Um, and now here, hopefully, they're going to be able to make the start again because uh, the season opener will be at Spa, which... Glickenhaus has already said they plan on running. So, uh, season opener spot, like I said, will be May 1st now. Uh, as opposed to, I think it was Easter Sunday, whatever day that'll be at the beginning of, I think it was the first weekend in April was the initial planned date for the eight hours of Portimao. 
and it just condenses the overall schedule up a little bit more uh, for this season. Initial comments here rolling in. I do want to remind people, if this is your first time tuning in, that you can comment some questions, and we can hopefully answer them. That's the point of this being a live podcast. And you can check out the uh, the post, not the postponed, but the, uh, the recorded episode tomorrow night on podcasting platforms everywhere. Gim Wolfer said, woohoo, hot summer racing at Lasarth. Yeah, that's probably the biggest concern I've seen so far is, you know, the beginning of June is the beginning of the summer. Um, I guess beginning, middle of June is the beginning of the summer. And you get a little bit cooler temperatures. August generally has a higher average temperature. Last year in the middle of September was probably more similar to what we would see in June. But yeah, certainly if they do have people in attendance, that's going to be a little bit of a hot one, I assume, for you know fans and drivers alike and crew members. So that may be a little bit different. Also, one thing to consider is that Lama every year traditionally is usually run around the summer solstice. So the nights there are extremely short. Last year... It was close to a 50-50 balance between day and nighttime running. So actually, it was you know it was quite interesting because you usually have the sun visible at Le Mans until like 10:30 or 11 p.m. And last year, I don't have an exact time, but it certainly the, the nighttime was certainly longer than it usually is. And this year is going to be a little bit of the same story, although not quite as much. Um. Macaulay Davis said they postponed it to figure out their own regs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I maybe that's an offhand of it, but I don't really think that's, that was the main purpose. Uh, Glickenhaus sounded great during testing. Yeah, that's another thing I wanted to talk about here. It was Glickenhaus just ran a couple of days testing at Monza, some high-speed testing in preparation for Le Mans. It's a pretty traditional move. Audi used to do the same thing where they would run their low downforce cars at Monza to get a grasp of how well they're running on that long straightaway. Uh, Glickenhaus was just doing the same thing. And yeah, there are some videos out on YouTube. You can check them out. And certainly I agree with you. That car sounds great. I've done a lot of talking so far. So Kyle, your opinions, if any, about Lamar moving to August? Man... <laughs> Um, I didn't really put it together on the Glickenhaus sound. I didn't really put it together until he mentioned it. And then once he did, I can never unhear it, that the uh, Glickenhaus engine is actually um, from Rally, right? Yes. two Basically yeah, I, two Rally engines bolted together. Yeah. Successful Rally engines at that. I didn't really put that together. It was, I, since he said that and then I listened to it, it was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> I can never unhear that now. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't really expect Portimao to get, like, the actual start to the season to get pushed back. Uh, being from probably, like, you know, a few weeks away now to now we got to wait until June. So, I mean, that's a little depressing. But, I mean, if Lamont can have fans, I guess it's for the best. But then again, being an IndyCar fan, it's like I know about events being moved to have fans. And then that still not happened, which makes it double depressing. So, yeah. At least in June, um, there will be sports car racing to be watched, I guess, is the silver lining here. Correct. Uh, you mentioned IndyCar. That actually brings me on to the next subject, which was schedule conflicts, which are always great to talk about. Uh, previously, there was no IMSA clash between the IMSA WeatherTech Championship and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And as it stands right now... 
uh, VIR is supposed to be. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? Was VIR moved? Yeah, it was uh, moved. It, it was moved. Races. Okay. Because I was just about to say, like, I, I'm like talking, and then I was like, no, they moved it. They definitely moved VIR. No, because uh, Petit Le Mans, instead of being in October, it's basically moved a month into November. So we're going to get another IMSA season that ends in November. Um, and then VIR is now October 8th to the 10th. Correct. The only thing um, around that time is uh, Laguna Seca is the 10th and 12th of September, which obviously should give them enough time. Yes, you are right. So I, I caught myself real quick there because I do remember now that IMSA changed those dates around. Who didn't change anything yet was IndyCar because the 24 Hours of Le Mans conflicts with Gateway at the moment. But the original date of the 12th and the 13th clashed with the Detroit double anyways. So I'm not, you know, too sure if IndyCar is going to make any change with that. The other race that I believe is standing in the way right now is the Suzuka 10 Hours, which obviously attracts a great amount of GT drivers. I haven't heard anything on that front at the moment about a date change for that race yet. Perhaps we'll have to wait and see on that one. But yeah, just another thing to notice or to note for the uh, for the 24 hours of Le Mans having those schedule conflicts again. Um, IndyCar at um, Gateway is the 21st of August, so I don't believe we'll be seeing uh, IndyCar drivers heading to Le Mans this year. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's what I was just saying. Gateway was in the way. Um, you know, so I'm trying to think of drivers who would be affected by that. I mean, I know, you know, Dixon used to do it with the Ford program, but he has Bourdais might have. Yeah, Bourdais possibly. Yeah. Um, but I can't think of anybody else immediately right now that would be affected by that, unless Grosjean was going to try to. Actually, no. But, well, Gateway with Grosjean is kind of in the air, but but uh, you know, hypothetically, if he ran Gateway, then. Uh, if you know, if he had any prospects on running Lamar, that would probably be out the window at the moment. But we'll have to see on that. Let's see what else can we talk about because I think that covers that for the 24 hours of Lamar. This is why I need sort of a, a sheet list of things to talk about because I knew earlier I said oh, I'm going to talk about that tonight, and then I've completely forgot. What Did you see the, the SRX car announced? I did see the SRX car was announced. What do you think? Just on on looks alone? Yeah. I, th I thought it was pretty all right. I mm. don't have any complaints with it. Uh, what right. about you? <laughs> hey, it's all right. It basically looks like a um, more squared off uh, Thunderbird from the, like, the big wing Daytona. Uh, not Thunderbird. What was that thing called? The Dodge Daytona? Whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. it, it just looks like a squared version of that. I bet it'll race good. Did you notice that they've had to put like a little like mini door on the side? There's like a, it's no, weird. No, I haven't. Instead of the, I mean, I find it kind of funny because obviously all the drivers are retired. That they had to put a door. So instead of going through the window, it's like it's not even a door. It's just like a little tiny like piece on the top of the side of the car, just to make the opening to get in the car a little bit bigger. Hmm. I find I found that a little interesting and funny. Yeah, that's weird because it is a bespoke chassis, right? Where it's so. like I don't. That just seems like sort of a 
I don't know. I don't know why they would have done that, but... Are you looking at that? Are you looking at the door? I'm not looking at a picture right now, no. <laughs> but um, I thought that was funny. Skipper said, didn't TK do Lamar a bunch of times? Yes, he. well, he did it twice in uh, 17 and 18 with Ford. I think One every driver we've mentioned is with Ford. Yeah. Maybe we're just, like, upset that there's not another GT manufacturer <laughs> and forgetting, but, like, Ford's not here. So yeah. <laughs> all of those drivers are probably in the clear. Hey, on the note of IndyCar drivers doing sports cars, how about uh, Jimmy Johnson and the 48 Ally Cadillac gang doing the, uh, world, not the World Endurance, doing the uh, IMSA Endurance rounds? I, I like it. I think it's, uh, it's in, I'm, just to see Kobayashi in more IMSA races is just a blessing. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited about that. See, that that was news I almost forgot about because that was, I think, last Tuesday or something like mm -hmm. that that I was announced, and it's been a week since then, so I almost forgot about that. But yes, yeah, Simon Pagano, Kamu Kobayashi, and Jimmy Johnson are going to be doing the remaining three IMSA weather IMSA WeatherTech endurance rounds, uh, Michelin Michelin endurance rounds. That's what it's called. Uh, so that's pretty nice. I think that that's going to bring in more fan attention to those races than it usually would. Unfortunately, the six hours of the Glen usually gets pretty neglected with TV coverage, I've noticed, on NBC. So hopefully with a big-name driver like that, we might get some improved coverage, but I'm not too optimistic on that front. But certainly I think it is going to attract some more names for the events like Sebring, Petit Le Mans, and Watkins Glen, should they all run as planned. Is that at Sebring next? Yes, it is. So Sebring will be on... You're going. You don't even remember. Dates. What like else? next week. Yes, the, the 20th of March. It's literally yes. like next week. Yes, You're going. You did spill the beans that I am planning on going. Of course, everything is, you know, sort of... Every, everything is uncertain until I'm actually there at this I'm still point. still undecided. But, yeah. The only difference is I haven't... I don't have any, like, set, like, plans to go yet. Yeah, expect maybe a small video about that. I don't think I'm going to do any, like, pure sound stuff because I'm mainly there for the photography aspect of it. But you can go check out my photos. com. I don't have a link anywhere. You probably don't know how to spell my last name, but it's out there. Uh... Be someone to put in the description of your videos, right? Yeah, so, I probably but should. You know, but you don't. Yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll get a card for it. I have a card somewhere. YouTube has this like interesting thing where you can like make the uh, description. You can like put things in the description of your video that like are always yeah, I there. Do. I okay. put your. Yeah, uh, I put your your YouTube and maybe your Twitter in there. No, I don't think I put your Twitter. I just put your. And YouTube. You put the Rain Ranch podcast Twitter, which yes. you should go follow. Yeah. Something on the screen the whole time. All right. Hey, this is a new story that I just saw. Uh, posted an hour ago by Nathan Brown out of the Indy Star that Top Gun Racing plan or confirms plans for the 2021 Indy 500 with yeah, sights right. set on a full 32. 2022 campaign. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you have you seen this story yet, first of all? No. Oh. <laughs> so i guess i'll just read because i'm just reading this as as we're talking about this but um says work has been done over the past 24 months to put together a racing program run with the penske's ganassi's and andretti's of the world 
Because they were planning on doing the 2020 Indy 500, right? It was, yeah, it was 2020, correct? Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic probably halted those plans. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Kind of, I mean, they didn't have a chassis. They, they like, were they were pretty ambitious, honestly. Like, honestly, to start those. Because the, those plans, like, they announced plans during the pandemic. Had this whole idea that they were going to run Indy. Because they, their announcement actually came, like, it was either, like, in May or it was literally after May. And when they announced they were going to do this, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, right." And everyone in that case was uh, was right, um, because remember Top Gun Racing actually started racing in the uh, i Racing series. And that's where they had like the Haggerty sponsorship, and uh, right. RC Anderson was racing. That was like their car, and they were going to try and do some other races outside of Indy too. And so apparently, their plans have kind of just gotten moved to this year. They didn't even have a shop. They didn't have a chassis. But they just said that they were going to run Indy, which was funny. Um, I believe Marshall Pruitt has a whole story on it. It's pretty funny. It's on a, on his podcast, but he never wrote about it. But there's a there's a backstory that's pretty funny that I I thought was funny. But um, uh, this year they have sponsor from the Navy, mm-hmm. and it was because it was interesting. Remember when they announced Ed Carpenter Racing with the Chuck Yeager car for Connor. Yeah. And it had like the background. Mm-hmm. They used that like exact same render, but instead it's the Navy in Top Gun Racing. Right. So it's like pretty obvious what that is. The other interesting thing I found out of this uh, article right here is they're saying that it's going to be a technical alliance with an already established team. So like we're seeing Pareto is doing that with Penske and Shank is doing that with Andretti. I don't know if you have any ideas or speculation on who you think that could involve. Well, probably Ed Carpenter if they have mm-hmm. the Navy on board. Right. Um, and the only other thing I see right here... Um, Peretta got a sponsor today. Yeah, I was going to move on to that in a little bit. <laughs> uh, oh, you put that one in the back pocket. Okay, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Peretta didn't get a sponsor. Um, no, you can't just backpedal for... on no, that no, no. lie. Stay tuned for a couple minutes to see if they do or not. Oh, no. Because... Uh, yeah, the other thing I, just, I saw from this article is that R.C. Anderson will be doing the uh, the entry, or will be driving the entry from Top Gun Racing at the Indy 500, so definitely, I think, a, an interesting pickup for them. That gives us 32 entries on the preliminary lineup so far. Yeah, and it's only, uh, it's only March right now, so bump days return, question mark? I need to look into that more. I don't know how many entries... Are unconfirmed as of right now. Yeah, that's where you got to break out the whole Excel spreadsheet that you and David always love to do. I do. I do that. <laughs> um, well, what's weird about these entry lists is a lot of times the uh, reporters like will cautiously add. Sometimes they'll like cautiously add Dry and Reinbold, and sometimes they won't because, like, as we know with Dry and Reinbold racing, they don't announce like they basically don't announce anything. Because I remember last year, obviously last year was like a was like a, I'm gonna say it, a different breed, um, <laughs> but we literally found out about Car- uh, Hildebrand, like actually having the entry and being confirmed in by seeing like some Facebook pictures of the uh, garage sign. And I don't think there was ever like a quote like official announcement on Hildebrand running that race. I think they just like assumed he did, he was, and then they just like did it 
which is interesting. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I guess we can move on to answering the the question that I'm sure everybody's just anxious to hear about Autosports sponsor deal. Now that you sort of threw, or I guess I threw it in the back pocket, but yeah, uh, Pred Autosport and Simona Di Silvestro will be sponsored by Moneyline for the Indianapolis 500. Now, Moneyline, the only thing I know about them is that they were sponsored, or they sponsored Penske's Xfinity cars, question mark? They're on the some past? cup cars too, I think, at some point. All right, cause, I think yeah, they so were on Kozlowski's car at some point. I wouldn't know that, but I'm sure somebody in the comments could probably help us. Um, so there's where you're seeing immediately that Penske tie-in. Obviously, as we just said a few minutes ago, Preda is an alliance with Penske. Um, so yeah, I think that that's you know, nothing short of a great a great pickup. Obviously, a sponsor. Here's an interesting with Penske. that I know. Like that, so that car... I think everyone knows this it is a Penske car, but that mm-hmm. is the Yunkos chassis. Did you know that? Interesting. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, that's Yunkos's car. Hmm. Which is, I don't is it, is it, that's, that's kind of sad. <laughs> that's sad. I mean, you know, Yunkos looked so promising in 2018, 2019, where they like just started pouring more and more money into their mm-hmm. racing programs. And I think it was a little bit of a surprise, but also not at the same time when they announced their Cadillac DPI program. And everybody's yeah. like, oh, wow, look at this. this. is like the This is the small team that could in terms of when they bumped Alonzo out of the Indy 500, and then they were really yeah. just on a, a roll of a positive news story after positive news story. And then I think the pandemic, more than anything else, really sort of just hurt them. But yeah, you're right. It's a big shame. They're still running, you know, lights, mm-hmm. Indy Pro. I don't think they have USF, but they're still running lights in Indy Pro. Still doing stuff. At, still have the shop behind um, SIK. Right. I was going to say behind 1911, but <laughs> 1911 Bar and Grills closed. Is um, that already closed? I mean, this isn't really new. Yeah, really it's, far turning into podcast, a, but... it's turning into a pizza shop. Hmm. So it's not all bad, but I'm going to miss my... That's where I went to get pork tenderloin when it wasn't race weekend. Sad. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a pizza place now. Which, uh, carding and pizza. So, I mean, I guess it gets as... That's as, uh... uh casual, usuals, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I really carding sh- and pizza goes together. I really shouldn't, Especially those like, rental places. continue this because this is not really relevant to the podcast, but yeah, is that... Relevant if you want it to be. Eh, well, yeah, there's a racing tie-in. Is it is that pizza shop still owned by Fisher or is that completely like somebody rented uh, out the space or do you not know? I think someone rented out the space. <laughs> it's, it's just the bottom part. You know how there were two levels. Mm-hmm. So right. I think the top level is still going to be Fisher. It's, uh, they, uh, they might turn that into something, but yeah, the pandemic shut down 1911 grill. Oh. Gimbalfer said money line has been partners with Penske for three years. Uh, so yeah, that's where I was. That's what I was saying earlier. I think it's a great pickup for them. You know, a Penske level sponsor is nothing to be uh, certainly not upset about. I'm looking for a better word. I can't think I can find it, but you know, it's something to be proud of. I'd say, and we'll have to see what comes of that entry. I think the alliance with Penske. I'm curious to see how much of a technical tie-in there is because that's the big thing right there. 
mm-hmm. is how much of a technical tie-in in terms of shared data and you know really i'm curious how strong they'll be in qualifying real question is that going to be are they going to I would imagine they'd be using the, you know, which is real important, the Penske dampers and, you know, the the data, get to, you know, have Simona get to lean on Pagano and Power and uh, those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, especially the dampers, though, it's a big key, especially for a new team. Like, uh, Shank would not be, I don't think Shank would be able to do the things that they do uh, if they had to start their own, you know, damper R&D instead of just basically going off Andretti. So, I mean, that's 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 the most important part. And obviously, I think Penske, after seeing, you know, their pace last year, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, bring in this other car uh, with an alliance of a new team, and then you have another car, you know, to get data off of, which seeing Penske do that is is definitely pretty rare. Right. Uh, you know, IndyCar has also been doing testing over the past week at Laguna Seca. I don't know if you have anything to highlight on that front, but Roman Grosjean uploaded a video to his YouTube channel. Actually, a pretty nice, brief YouTube video that explains, I think, to a more casual crowd the basic differences between an IndyCar overlap and a Formula One car overlap, mainly the mm-hmm. power steering or the lack of power steering in IndyCar. And what I thought was really interesting is, you know, people always say that Formula One cars are sort of point and shoot almost like you can just turn the wheel and and, uh, you know, the car is not going to put up that much of a fight. But he really illustrated it really well in that video, how it's a completely different driving technique when you're driving the two different cars where you can't just like turn in hard and have the car stick guaranteed. So. I would recommend checking that out. That was my one takeaway from the Laguna Seca test because I don't believe we have any lap times still. So still awaiting on some uh some confirm or like official lap times for this season in IndyCar. So I think the biggest uh, like the most inter- exciting thing about that test was obviously um when Paula Montoya just about to say, jumped yeah. in the car and Elio Castroneves jumped in his car uh, for the first time. And uh, McLaren was using those, what are the, like, the like metal sensors they put behind the rear wheels for aero? Oh, you mean the... They use an F1. What do they call those? Oh, the aero... I don't, no, I don't know what they're called, but I know... I don't know the exact name. They're like the grid fins, almost. That's yeah. the only way I can describe it, but that's a SpaceX term, not a... <laughs> <laughs> not a racing term but i do know yeah, what you're talking about yeah yeah they were trying to figure out arrow which i thought was interesting for a spec series <laughs> i thought that was something pretty interesting what they were te- uh trying to what data they were trying to get out of that but you know mclaren you know it's good for them to be using you know their resources uh, that they have from f1 and the, the other categories they race in and taking it in indycar and obviously pato award was fastest in that session i think um, from like the unofficial times by like three tenths, I believe something like that. It was something big. Yeah. Uh, he was testing the, uh, on Paulo Montoya was testing the, uh, 66 car, which we found out that he will actually be running the 86 at the Indy 500. I don't know what anniversary it is to the, uh, 
the McLaren pole at Indy, the, the, I believe it was Peter Revson, the number 86. I think it's like 50th anniversary, something like that. So I believe, I, I, I would guess that we'd probably be getting a, a nice throwback livery for uh, Mampala Montoya at the 500 this year, which is fun. We always love cool liveries, even though it's just paint on a car. It still gets excited. We got Elio Castroneves in the 06, uh, which I think, Juan Pablo Montoya, is he doing the GP? No, because I just looked that up. I wanted to make sure, but yeah, as of right now, he's not doing the GP. So yeah. that's why I was like, why was he running the test at a road course? Uh, I, yeah, um, I guess they just wanted the data, but I, I also think thought about that in the back of my head. I'm like, is he even doing a road course? Why is he doing this? Yeah, Marshall Pruitt noted um, on racer.com that Montoya was gathering arrow mapping data for the team. So, yep. you know, he is still a McLaren test driver. I just, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why are you sending him out there to test at a road course if he's running the oval? And that's it, as we know of right now. Unless McLaren has some secret plans to give him the GP treatment that we don't know about yet. Imagine being McLaren IndyCar and your testing driver is Juan Paul Montoya. You just have him in your back pocket to go run laps. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think Montoya still has a great deal of potential in an Indy car. you got to think his second... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He did run full-time in 2007. Did he? Did he run full-time? No, in he, he, only yeah, did, he, ran... he only did a one-off in 17. Yeah, he did. Okay, so his last full-time and season like was 2016. Fifth. In 16, he was... You know, he just Crash. edged out... Well, he was just edged out by... Uh, Dixon and the championship in 15. Yes. So Yeah, that was the whole double points thing. Man, mm-hmm. that was a weird year. What do you mean the whole double points thing? They've always done that except for last... No, the, uh, <laughs> well, Dixon, let's be clear. They've, they've So they've always done the double points. But uh, in 2015, I don't think it ever came like as... Uh, important as it did in 15 because let's be clear dixon won that championship because of double points if it weren't for double like i don't think there was another championship like that there's been championships where it's like they were probably only in contention mathematically because of double points but like i don't think there's ever been a champion that won because there were double points because dixon actually came in like third in the championship i believe and there was like one scenario where he won it, and that one scenario happened. <laughs> I guess the last IndyCar story slash bit of speculation this week, while we're already writing off stories from Marshall Pruitt, <laughs> <laughs> um, was another article he posted in Racer.com saying that Kamo Kobayashi has expressed interest in running IndyCar. Um... I'd be curious to see what that means for his sports car plans in the future if he did such a move. He's already running in the Super Formula Championship over in Japan. Um, which, you know, I probably should because I hear it's a very good championship, but I don't follow the Super Formula Championship that much, and I'm not sure if they have any scheduling conflicts with the World Endurance Championship. I know other drivers like Andre Lauderer used to run. If not, he, he may still run full-time in that championship, although I don't think so, uh, alongside the World Endurance Championship. And he's running 
as we said earlier, full-time in the Michelin Endurance Cup for IMSA. So he already has his hands quite full. Uh, certainly, if he wanted to run an IndyCar schedule, I think that that would all but prevent him from doing, unless it was a limited time schedule, of course, I think it would all but prevent him from doing his uh, LMP1 obligations with Toyota, where he's already probably their strongest driver. I think that you'd be hard-pressed to argue against that. But, yeah, uh, for sure. I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that, but it was just worth noting. I'd love to see at least a test to see what lifetimes he could put down. Mm-hmm. And he'd definitely be exciting. Everybody, like, kind of sleeps on Kamui Kobayashi until... Uh, it's always, like, the Rolex 24. And then people yeah. are like, oh, yeah, we forget that this guy's an absolute monster in a high downforce car. <laughs> you know, even... Even races like Sebring or Petit, you know, he's he's definitely strong, but and I noticed this with Lamar as well back in 2017 when he set the lap record that yeah, if you put him in a high downforce prototype, he's just one of if not the best out there right now. So I think sure. in an IndyCar it would be very interesting to see how he runs, and he has Formula One experience in his past as well, so. I think that that would draw a lot of attention because right now he certainly has a great fan base in the United States just off his performance at Daytona over the past few years. Um, I mean, at the Rolex this year, I think around like midnight, I mean, he was the entertainment right there. Yeah, he'll he'll put on a show when he hops in the car, especially if there's only a few hours to go and then he's trying to run someone down. As unfortunately noted in the 2020 Rolex 24 when... (laughs) He pulled away from my beloved Mazdas in the final <laughs> hours. What a shame. Every time. Surely you have something to bring up here. Because I'm at a standstill. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, oh, you know what I want to talk about? Okay, so, so Glickenhaus, earlier in the week, in their typical fashion of just sort of throwing bombs on Twitter just said that they wanted to run a third entry at Le Mans and in a joking-ish fashion because, you know, you everything that Glickenhaus says that you can take as a joke, you got to also anticipate it being serious. They wanted to, mm-hmm. or they they said they want to run a third car at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And the idea that they proposed initially was, hey, if you have a lot of money, $5 million to be exact, or I think $5 million euros to be exact, you know, hand that over to us. We'll put your name on the car and all your stuff. You know, you can sponsor the car. We'll run it for you. We'll get the drivers. And then after the race, you get to keep the car. So if it wins Le Mans, you get to keep a Le Mans winning car. Because the other thing to notice with, or to note with that car is that I'm not positive about the United States, but it's supposed to be road legal. I don't know if they've like passed u.s regulation to allow that here but i think over in europe it is road legal not that you know if you have a lama winning car i don't think you'd be driving it to uh to walmart every day but you know that that was their plan initially and then they said all right well maybe this won't work out maybe there isn't going to be someone to toss five million dollars at us right now so then they came up the with the idea oh, yeah, it'd of, actually be 5.9 million dollars okay five instead of euro <laughs> Yeah, thanks for the conversion. Uh, their second sort of proposal was, what if we have people who 
purchase stuff off our store online, but you can put their name on the car. So sort of a crowdfunding effort, but using their store to uh, fund it, which... Are you going to make six, five million euro? That's what I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, they have some $6,000 watches, I think, on their website. But then, you know, you have to think of how much those are actually being sold to them by the manufacturer and so on. I don't know, but I I certainly wish them success with it because a third car for Lamaze, you know, we haven't seen. Listen, Glickenhaus. Okay. We'll cut you a deal. (laughs) This is the Rain Race podcast. And, you know, our logo looks pretty solid, right? You can put that on your car. And I know 5 million euros is kind of what you're looking at. But, you know, we're some, like, How about five 20-year-old years? kids. You know, we'll shoot you five American dollars to put the Rain Race podcast on your car. Okay? And an exclusive on the podcast, which right now has yeah. nine concurrent viewers. And then you, uh, Mr. James Glickenhaus, can come on the podcast. Talk about it with us. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to give us the car after. $5. Keep it. I think it's a good deal. I think you sold it really well there. Good job. Um, I learned from you know, watching Shark Tank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gotta go. Or you go hit up uh, Marcus Lemonis, put Camping World on a Glicken House, and then he get to keep the car. Hey. Maybe. <laughs> Someone pitched that to him. Um, okay, so Gam Wolfers said, I thought the World Endurance Championship limited hypercar entries to two cars per team. I don't remember seeing anything about two cars per team, but was there a rule about you're not allowed to do one-off entries at Le Mans? I don't think... Because I mean, well... Glickenhaus um, wanted to run the 24 hours of Le Mans but they were turned down because they weren't running the entire schedule. But, you know, then again, I don't know. Here's the thing, all right? You have a hypercar. And let's just start this off by the fact that the World Endurance Championship and the ACO has made exceptions in the past for entries to Le Mans. So, you know, if if Glickenhaus walks up to him and says, hey, we have all this fan attention because we're running this very unconventional team here, and depending mm-hmm. on their success in the World Endurance <laughs> Championship leading up to then, we have a third car we're interested in running. It already has a ton of fan backing, possibly literally, if they go through with that store funding idea. Then, um, then yeah, maybe, maybe they would consider it. I also don't know if the uh, stream went down for a second because my thing just said no, no data for about two seconds. So hopefully you heard all of that. Um, but just in case you didn't, I was basically saying that I think the ACO would be hard-pressed to turn that down based on the exceptions that they've given in the past. Garage 59 car, maybe? Um, well, okay, so I, Garage 56 was uh, like their technical initiative that they ran in the past. I don't think the car would fit under that, per se, You know where you had... The Delta Wing initially ran under that. The ZODRC, which was the first all-electric lap at Le Mans car, um, that only did like 24 minutes in the race. That one, and then you had the um, quadruple amputee driver 
in 2016. So I don't think it would fit in that category if that's what you're referring to. But we'll have to see. I certainly wish them well with that because everybody wants a third entry from Glickenhouse, I think. And I'd be interested to see what drivers they would try to pull with that. So we'll have to wait and see. Just something to note for now that they have expressed interest in doing it. So we'll follow that story as we get details, if there are any. I guess we'll... So, so Rico92 asked, how would we redo the IndyCar schedule? Now, Add a race be... to the northeast. I thought, well, I thought this would be something interesting to do. Okay, so bring up the schedule. <laughs> and right. I'll go first. Let's basically... Now I'm going to say here is you can... You can add tracks. You can add tracks. And just basically, how would you do the schedule? Um, so first, are you going to go, go first? first? Okay, all right. Tell me. But, uh, okay, so I would start the season at St. Petersburg. I think it's perfect. I, I, I It's a great venue. I went to my first St. Pete Grand Prix last year. Um, technically, I went to two of them. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a good way to start. Uh, and then next, I'd go... I, I liked Barber where it was. Um, and then for a third race, obviously I would like the season to start in March. So I think third race he'd probably be going into April. I would add, um, let's say we bring you know Coda back. I didn't think that was a bad race when it happened. I think April's probably a good time for it. Because um, obviously you're just trying to get a few events before the 500. Um, and then I would say Long Beach. So then basically you have, you know, first race to the end of March. Then you got three races in April. Um, first week of May, uh, you take a off week the first week. But like in that first week of May, you should actually do something with it and like start media for the 500 right away and then do the GP because that first week of May it's like, hey, it's the month of May, and then, but it's just like, it's already May, and you have to wait a week into May, you know what I mean? But yeah, and then you do uh, the Grand Prix qualifying Indy 500, um, and then after the 500, um, I would say, I mean, I'm kind of torn on giving them an off week um, after the 500, and going straight, you know, after, because that's something that they've done. Because I, I think they get an off week this week. Because I, be, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the weekend after the 500 this year is going to be IMSA Detroit, and then the weekend after IMSA Detroit is IndyCar. Because it's not like a doubleheader anymore for IMSA and IndyCar. But no matter if you give them a week break or uh, you go back to back, let's let's leave the 500 and let's go to Gateway. I think that Gateway is promoted throughout May so well. It's so close to Indy, you know, and plus, I think the 500 should be followed up by an oval. Um, and then after Gateway, let's let's go to Road America. I love that race in June. Um, and then let's go to Detroit. Let's go. Um, so that gives us three weeks. You keeping the doubleheader at Detroit? Yeah. Okay. And then after Detroit, let's go to Iowa. And here's, here's, here's what I want to do with Iowa. One, it needs to come back, obviously. Two, 
I loved what they did last year. I know it was a COVID thing, doing the doubleheader, but like that Friday night IndyCar race was great. I loved having a Friday night IndyCar race. It was great. But you don't want to get rid of the Saturday night race, so do the doubleheader again. I thought that was a... The Iowa doubleheader probably worked best as far as the doubleheaders last year went. Honestly. And it's a shame they're not going back. Um, and after Iowa, uh, we're going to go into July, July 4th weekend. Uh, let's go to Nashville for the Music City GP. Um, because, you know... I, it, July fourth, July fourth weekend. Let's do that. Why not? I would guess a street race July fourth weekend might not work though. Again, this is my schedule. Um, then let's go to Toronto. Mm, let's go to. Uh, I don't really. There's some races I'm thinking of in my head that I don't really want to be in the middle of the summer. So after Toronto, go to. Uh, uh, kind of torn here. Races that they stopped going to that I loved. A race oh, in the Northeast. Back. I'm getting there. Okay, no, let's go to the, let's go to Texas in the middle of July. Add another oval in there. Um, and then in their original date, not just July Fourth date, let's go to Mid Ohio. Uh, I think like last week in July, first weekend of August. That kind of like in between weekend is probably I think that's the best weekend for that event. Um, and then after Mid Ohio, we've already done that. We've already done that. What are we doing next? Let's go to um, man. What's one where we can't go to right now? Hmm. What's another Northeast race we can do? Sorry, I've been very loosely following this, but did you say Watkins Clun? Not yet. Okay. We're getting there. Did you say Pocono? Oh, shoot. Let's go to Pocono after Mid-Ohio. Thank you. Let's go to Pocono. Uh, Then let's go to Portland. Uh, Go to Laguna Seca. And then let's end... Oh, frick. Okay, no. we'll, We'll do this for one year. If this was happening like this year or next year, because I doubt it's going to change, let's end the season at Auto Club. Even though the, because I remember right when I thought it, I remember they're turning in, into a short track and that just won't work. So you know what? Screw it. If this is like a next year schedule, let's go to Auto Club. That's a, I think it's a good way to end the season. Do a night race too to make Auto Club happy. All right. Is that that's what you got? Yeah. Do you have any? Have any? Uh, Thoughts on that? Um, oh, wait, no. Watkins, it, Glen, Watkins Glen after um, uh, Laguna Sega. Because Portland and Laguna Sega should be together, like do a little West Coast swing. You know, it was a little conservative, but I, it was also a little bit realistic, which is... Yeah. I'm going to go a little bit more out wild here. Um, so I agree with you. Start at St. Pete. I think that's a great track for the season opener. I'd go to Barber. Um, Texas, would I keep Texas in the spring? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd keep Texas in the spring, but I don't think I would keep it a double header. I'd just do one race at Texas. Um, and then you have the GP of Indy, which 
Some people might say, just get rid of it. I'll just say whatever, just keep it. If you if you're a hater of it, it's whatever. I don't I don't hate that race. It does put on some action. I can't say I'm I'm swinging either way with that one. Indy 500, obviously, to close out the month. Detroit, I would like to see that go back as an IMSA doubleheader. I'd like to see IMSA and IndyCar racing side by side there. Because right now I just don't see that much. You know, right now they're running on different weeks. I don't know what you're going to gain from that. If anything, you're just going to be losing fans on both parties. But So that's the only change I would make to Detroit. Road America. Yeah, I have no problems with that. Let's start, uh, let's start adding some stuff in here, though. I would say probably, let's say after Road America. Which, first of all, the thing I was going to say, so they have eight or they have 17 races right now. I'd say try to bump it up to 18. So I already got rid of one of the Texas races. So that means after Mid-Ohio is over, I'm done. Or no, after Road America, I've done eight races, I believe. So then let's, let's shake it up because I want more races in the Northeast. And I've argued this before. That and it's controversial, but I think New Hampshire Motor Speedway could be better suited for IndyCar than it is for NASCAR. I'm not going to say it would put on a fantastic race, but I also don't think Texas throws on a fantastic race. So let's throw that You're right. there. You're right. Look at what Wheel and Modifieds do. Open mm-hmm. like Open Wheel Series. I guess you can go Wheel and Modifieds Open Wheel, but um, they're basically like flat out there, correct? And it's just excellent. Well, okay, again, so my my argument with that is like. It'd be cool. Look at Gateway. IndyCar does well with those proper oval-shaped ovals as opposed to, like, you know, Iowa's not a bad race. I used to have a lot of hate. Not a lot of hate, but I used to have a slight grudge against Iowa. I that race all the time. Sometimes you're right. Um, Toronto. Yeah, we'll keep Toronto in there. Why would you not? It's like one of the most, like, that's like there with, like, Long Beach on road course, like, street courses so the music city grand prix i think that i would i'm going to keep that just based on the fact that it's well because we haven't seen a race there yet so we have no idea how it's going to race but that one i think that they're putting on a lot of stuff off the racetrack for that event that's going to make it interesting to people who aren't necessarily fans of indycar dude dan jr's on the board dude Mm. uh second indy road course race nah scrap it replace it with watkins Glen. Because I think that that was a pretty good race. Um, trying to think of like another. People are going to say wait, they want more that? ovals in here. What did you just say, Scrap? The second Indy Road Course race, August. Oh yeah, yeah, good. Um. So Portland. Oh wait, you know what? I just realized. So okay, so. So the Grand Prix of Long Beach is is right now this season is the finale. So I forgot to talk about that one. Let's move that one back up towards the third round like it more traditionally was. So after in between Barber and Texas, let's throw Long Beach. And then let's put... Did I, I didn't say Portland yet. You also Mont- haven't said Mid-Ohio. Yes, I did. I, I think I did. If I didn't say Mid Ohio, then after Road America, where it already is, because that's whatever. 
Um, or is there somewhere else we could go better on? You know what? No, no, no. Switch Mid-Ohio and Nashville around because I think Nashville on 4th of July weekend would be really cool. Um, ah, you agree with me on something. Mm-hmm. I didn't even remember that you said that. So now we did Portland, Laguna Seca. Would you like to see Coda back? I don't know if you said Coda because, again, I was half I said Coda. I All said right. it in the beginning of the year after Barber, like third race of the year. Yeah, it I might was be, when it was in the series. I may be breaking my 18 race policy here, but I wouldn't mind seeing Coda as well. I think towards the end of this season would work better for it, but I'm trying to like split it up. The only thing uh-huh. I'm going to say right now is I want Gateway to be the, the finale. Mm. Um, so let's just say Portland, Laguna Seca, Coda, and then... Um, gateway for the finale and if i could go really ambitious i would say gold coast alongside supercars in october but did you even say any northeast tracks i did i said Watkins Glen and um loudon you wouldn't go back to pocono um shit i forgot about pocono <laughs> <laughs> all right well okay so let's see is there any race i would scrap for pocono i would mm, on this Personally, schedule. off your schedule, I would go Pocono instead of Coda. Hmm. Yeah, what the hell? I think you could probably pull that off, yeah. Because I was looking for an oval to throw in the middle there. But Gateway does work as a season ender. I will say that. It I would. just want to see I just want to see Indy followed up by an oval because you get all this momentum built up by the five hundred. And then you usually follow it up with a, like a, you get like an average Detroit race. I mean, sometimes they're really good, but like when you're going from the 500 to Detroit, I feel like it doesn't do as much. Then again, you could have a super boring gateway race that just turns you off ovals. But I mean, well, it has to be night, mm-hmm, prime time, obviously, prime time IndyCar finale. Right now, the IndyCar finale, I think that's the biggest problem I have with it. And there's not much you can do. You can't run Laguna Seca under the lights, but I don't I didn't care for Laguna Seca as the ender. I didn't care I didn't like Sonoma. No. I don't because the other thing I don't really agree with is IndyCar while like yeah, you have to go run races on the West Coast. Like let's be real. Your fan base is the Midwest. And it's the same thing as uh NASCAR like doing it in Phoenix. It's like you know, your demog- like most of your fans are in the Midwest or for NASCAR, you know, the South. It's like, why are you doing these races on the West Coast? I guess for the hardcore fans that do want to make a trip out to the West Coast, they get a nice little, you know, California getaway. But I mean, like, not everyone, like, if you do it at Gateway, you'll absolutely pack the stands. And then again, I did say Auto Club, but I think Auto Club, you know, you do that race in September, October. What if Auto Club gets that NASCAR treatment, though? What do you mean? The short track race in oh, Auto yeah, Club? You, no, that's why, that's why I got mad, because I forgot that was happening. <laughs> that's why, I mean, yeah. I mean, another thing I wanted to, I wanted to, once we got done with this, one thing I wanted to say is, like, because obviously your schedule was pretty realistic, and so was mine, but, like, what tracks that like probably aren't really realistic would you bring to IndyCar? But like, is this something you'd want? Because I would. Coast. Say, 
I'd say Milwaukee, uh, Cleveland, Michigan, um, Road Atlanta. Which Road Atlanta is probably this. Road Atlanta is too fast for IndyCar. Yeah, and if like someone at one point tried to say that F1 should run there, and it's like, well, they could, mm. but they would ruin the track. And if you've ever been to Road Atlanta and you've seen like just how cool that place is, the way that they would like safety or rise that place. It's a word now. I said it. Um, the way they would do, you know, do that place is just would not be as cool, I guess. So, I mean, that, that can't happen, but, um, if you brought any cars to Atlanta, long story short, you'd be, you'd probably have a car in the woods, uh, after a while. Um, what about like VIR? Yeah. Well, I mean, Same story, I, I think, with, with uh, VIR is right at Atlanta. I think it's a little bit too fat. Mm, uh, who knows? There's but... a lot. There's a ton of runoff at VIR, though. Like, a ton. Like, so much. They might have a wall there now, but on the left side of the front street, if you ever notice, it's just a gigantic field, and I think it just leads into the woods, because they, like, they just expect nobody to even make it out that far. They might have added a wall now, but when I race there... I think even after the repave, they were just on the left side. There wasn't a wall; it was just a long, wide section of grass and then woods. And then going into one, there's a ton of runoff. There's a few areas where like the walls kind of close in, but then again, like they're not like in high speed sections. All right, I got a couple questions to answer here. Because uh, Gam Wolfers asked, "Would you add the Daytona Road Course since NASCAR goes to Indy?" People have thrown that idea around a little bit, and I don't think it would be as exciting as people expect. Yeah. Because the Daytona Road Course is just too flat out for Indy cars, I think. Yeah. Um. The Charlotte Roval would be more interesting, but even that, it's like if you design. That the Charlotte Road Course is more of like a NASCAR designed track. Oh yeah, that, that track is meant just, for a stock car yeah, to go around da- there. Daytona was adapted with the shit chicane. <laughs> you oh. saw when you saw when Newgarden did those laps, like he was like flying. Yeah, basically, um, I don't, I don't know how what the slowest speed around that track was it was probably the probably the back straight chicane, but like, I, I think it's probably too fast not at a point where it'd be too dangerous but at a point where like i don't think the racing would be as good as you think yeah I, that's what i said the same story with daytona would be i think that, that track is i don't know maybe i'd be wrong but i don't see any reason because you know you wouldn't get like as much like slip streaming around the banking as you'd think you'd get because mm-hmm. you know that they'd add like a bunch of chicanes more than just the nascar one probably they probably put a they probably do something else they don't um, want them going that fast Rico suggested go down to Mexico at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. That would be an interesting one. F1, That's a good I think, track. On a good show there. That's one of those tracks like Coda where it's really wide, and like so like these newer F1 tracks, which I guess Coda probably wasn't made with the knowledge that F1 was going to become like wider, but like mm-hmm. you can tell with a lot of the newer F1 tracks that they're really wide because F1 cars are really wide. And so when you stick an indie car there, which is why Coda NASCAR is going to be entertaining because like it's so wide that it just creates, you know, really good racing. And with uh, Hermanos Rodriguez having so many ninety degree corners and like no elevation, it would just be it'd be something to watch. 
Macaulay Davis asks, how is IndyCar racing compared to F1 in terms of road course races, such as battles, dirty air, and so on? The main thing to note with IndyCar is they've worked hard with this newer car to get rid of, or not get rid of, but like lessen the effects of dirty air because that was a bigger problem with the aero kits, the manufacturer aero kits from 2015 to 2017. Um, F1 has that same issue themselves right now. They're, that's what they're trying to fix with the 2022 cars. But the problem with F1 is that the majority of their overtakes are under DRS. And, um, hmm. you know, the other series I talked about in the last podcast that has an issue with dirty air is supercars right now. So everybody, everybody right now is sort of, and, you know, NASCAR too, is in a problem with dirty air. And they're all trying to fix it with new cars. And we'll have to see. I think IndyCar, IndyCars was pretty effective, I'd say. Yeah, they did a great job. Like right Although, off the bat, St. Pete 2018, you just yeah. tell the difference. Although you could argue at ovals, it's maybe even a little bit worse depending on your definition. Oh, they messed of up on ovals, but they messed up on ovals. Yeah, there's just not enough. It's not like because that's kind of what I mean. Not everyone agrees with it because everyone would rather see like the DW12 bodywork where they were just slipstreaming by every lap, and it kind of just became like a snake pack race but i kind of prefer the less downforce where it's kind of like the best the best setup and the cleanest race wins you know where it's not just an easy you know get on the back of someone and slip dream by and trade positions every single lap and it's just a it's just a mental battle of like when do you pass them on what lap i'd rather you know best best setup best car best driver rather than just a big basically a pack race in a single file line but mm-hmm. um what they've done is they basically have just not given them in, like enough options as far as it comes to adding downforce like the window between no downforce and full downforce just is too small whereas you know with the obviously with the manufacturer kits and then with the uh, uh i think also with the dw12 had way more options and so when you get in dirty air and you have less downforce. Obviously, you have to back off a lot more. And you, there's more understeer, more. And then, then, you know, to try and compensate with that, to put more downforce in, you don't have much option. So pretty much everybody, like in 2018, I think almost everybody was, you know, maxed downforce because of how hot it was. And we saw how that race was. I mean, uh, apparently they're going to be testing, which I'm going to try and be at least one of the days, because I'm going to be going to a dirt race at Kokomo the same days. There's a test at IMS, like, the 8th, and apparently they're going to be testing a new floor on the ovals. Huh. It's something uh, Colton Herta talked to David about. I didn't hear much about it, but apparently they're testing a new floor. Interesting. Which is something we've seen with IndyCar. They added those front wing elements in 2018 at Pocono, which has been a thing that didn't really fix the problem. Supposedly last year they were testing new things to make oval racing better. Yeah, they messed up on ovals. But as far as F1 versus IndyCar, which is what this topic has gotten, which is what started the tangent of IndyCar oval racing, um, definitely dirty air is a lot less in IndyCar, like you said. Um, and definitely the driver matters a lot more in the racing, the overall product. 
Um, uh, I mean, the car still matters, but definitely not as much as F1. I mean, I think... I mean, you still have to have... Obviously, because dampers are open in IndyCar, right? So you obviously have to have a team or an alliance that's put in a lot of R&D into their dampers and things that are open. But uh, that doesn't mean... I mean, it's not that big of a difference to where, like, a... Obviously, like, a Dale Coyne can still win. And any given weekend, I'd say, uh, before practice, it's pretty much... You have a idea of, like, 10 or... 13 guys who could win versus F1 where it's, you know, maybe four guys will have a shot, you know, maybe, maybe six, you know, so, Mm -hmm. and you're not really relying on rain or other outside possibilities to make it not a two car dominant race. There's a lot of things like that in the racing. Here's what I would love to see from IndyCar. My last note on the whole schedule thing, which I think was a great discussion. So if anybody has any future com- uh, any comments like that for future episodes, please ask them because I think that, that was quite interesting. We actually get to talk about it. Gives us a lot of time to fill too because obviously there's not <laughs> yeah. a lot of news going on right now. Um, I would love to see IndyCar be more experimental with their seasons, especially now under the Penske era. You know, maybe under the the Holman George era they had to be a little bit more conservative because that was sort of just the structuring of the series at the time. But I was kind of hoping under Penske that we would get more ambitious decisions with regards to the calendar. Well, obviously we got coveted this year. Yeah, that's, that is true. Um, but you know, the thing that really tipped that off for me was look at what F1 did during the pandemic versus IndyCar. Right. You know, I can't knock IndyCar or anything. It's not like they did anything like, horribly wrong but you look at f1 they went to imola they went to uh, mugello they went to the bahrain outer circuit they went to i forget it they went to turkey where they went to portimao and when you look back at them some of those races were actually the best races of the season and who knows what tracks indycar could have gone to in a similar situation and we could have learned oh wow that's that's a great race we should keep that on the schedule like what F1's doing with some of those tracks. Because, because here, here's... Because, like, some some tracks, like, you'd say... You'd think... When I think of tracks that we could have gone to that were different, I'd think, like, Watkins Glen. Well, we couldn't do that because New York had a whole true, thing. True. We didn't have any racing at Watkins Glen, you know? And then you look at the other tracks, like the tracks we didn't go to, like Richmond, um, and how Richmond isn't on the schedule anymore for this season. That's because... Apparently, ISC, which is owned by NASCAR, um, kind of ended that, I guess. Um, so then, like, what tracks that aren't NASCAR-owned and aren't having their own pandemic issues could we go to? You know, and then you look, you set, like, a track like VAR. Like, there's obviously, there's obviously already questions about whether IndyCars could even race there or not because of the safety. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just thrown... A, whereas F1 had all these... Um, you know, tracks ready to go that were FIA grade or they've already raced it in the past, just things like that that they could do. And here's the other thing about it, uh, IndyCar is if, like, like remember in 2016, the first time they went to Watkins Glen, the reason that race, that was the race that replaced Boston 
And so what IndyCar had to do is they had to rent the track. That right. wasn't like a handshake deal. Like, you know, we'll, you know, give you this amount of money. And, you know, basically it wasn't, it wasn't like they worked together to put on an event. IndyCar basically just rented the track and, you know, paid Watkins Glen however much basically to have the track. And it wasn't, you know, a deal that got worked out. It was just a quick replacement. And, you know, IndyCar would have had to do that. And you also look at the, I mean, it's interesting because when you think about the budgets and the biggest question about adding races in IndyCar always has been is when the sponsors pay, they pay, you know, IndyCar owners already know exactly how much they need to run 17 races. And so for IndyCar to add more races, they'd have to get into an agreement with all the teams on whether or not, you know, their sponsors would be able to pay for, you know, an extra for that extra race, you know. Because some of these sponsors we've seen in IndyCar, like GameBridge, you know, for example, they signed a three-year deal to run three seasons. Well, the first season's like 17 races, and let's say the next is like 19, and they're not ready to pay those extra races, you know. So you got to, there's a lot of different things you got to think about in these deals. Yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, you bring up a good point there. But for the future, I would like to see IndyCar try some experimental yeah. things. You have way, way, way more international interest in the series than you did back in 2008. So how yeah. come back in 2008 we were able to have a race at Gold Coast? I know I keep bringing up Gold Coast, by the way. But I think that that race, you know, right now is a track that it's it's not the same layout that they ran back in 2008. Supercars has been running a shorter layout. You know, you might have to see what you can work with there. But I think that that track, as long as you get rid of the, the supercar, you know, jump curbs, <laughs> I think that that track could be a great finale for IndyCar. Look who you just got in that series racing for Team Penske, a driver who was in supercars for however many years. Literally, V8 supercars like Dale Jr. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, uh, you know, if you did a race like that, obviously it would either have to be the season opener or the season finale. Likely season finale because, um, you know, that's when it would line up with, with a supercar schedule. Or even like Andrew said earlier, Newcastle. I know he was probably kind of joking, but... I think that that could be an interesting track for IndyCar. It's a little bit tight, but I certainly wouldn't object to seeing IndyCar try something like that. Just something that's... Okay, so the only the only concern with that is if you have that race as a finale, I don't know what time that would be running for us, but... I don't like the finale in an American series being in Australia, though. Uh, you're kind of right, but... This is but a I just Midwest see... series. I understand that, but I do want to see them like try more experimental things. Remember when they were going to go to China? Remember when they were going to go to Brasilia? Oh, who remembers Brasilia? Yes. Oh, my God. But, you know, we there could are... Go, there... I mean, the argument for going to Brazil... got my mind rolling on Brazil. The argument for going to Brazil kind of got lost when uh, Elio stopped running full-time and now TK is part-time. Well, okay, so your argument was that you have a Midwest series, but what state has the finale been in over the past decade. Yeah, and I complained about that too. <laughs> I complain about that too. That's on the West Coast. You know, that's where I... My realistic opinion was Gateway. I think it's Snapdab. Or, uh, you know, not... 
the center is obviously Indianapolis, but you're not going to have a season finale at Indianapolis. And if that's their idea, then please don't do it because I don't want another road course race there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, that's uh, what everyone's been like arguing for: is make the GP the finale, which is also the boomers. Yeah. They're like, we don't need another race at IMS in the month of May. That's sacrilegious. <laughs> we don't need that. But you know, you had back in 2011, you raced at Twin Ring Motegi. Honda remember. hasn't tried to bring them that back, especially with Sato popping off in the last mm-hmm. couple years. Yeah. I mean, try some new stuff. I'd be curious to see how much it would hurt the small teams, but think 2008 was right after the merger between Cart and the IRL. And, you yeah, know, those Champ Cart teams somehow did something. Yeah. You know, and that was in the middle of a recession. And we, we were able mm-hmm. to go to some international races even through the recession. So, I don't know. Something to consider. I, all I know right now is that they have a stronger international audience than they probably ever did back then. And so they're going to have to, I hope, that they can capitalize on it with some some eye-opening event. Because right now, you know, while I don't have anything against their current schedule, I think that it's still pretty conservative. And I think once we sort of ease back into regular life, so to speak. I would like to see them just throw a track out there that we're like, whoa, check that out. That's That wasn't really expected. Every year the IndyCar schedule comes out, it's like, yep. oh, look, they move the they move the Barber date or they move the Mid-Ohio date. It's like, all right. I haven't seen... The last time I was genuinely surprised by an IndyCar schedule, and this wasn't even when they had dropped the schedule. It was, you know, when they did the Boston GP announcement, which, you know, obviously... How'd that go? Don't remind me of it. But that was the last time I was genuinely surprised by an IndyCar track announcement. So I would love to see something like that again. That's my only plea to Roger and company. Please, Roger, Northeast, (laughs) Roger, please. Yes, and get get a race back in the Northeast no matter what. I don't care if you just want to do Watkins Glen, Pocono, Loudoun. I don't care. Just one track because... Go to Pocono. You know, you can say you can say IndyCar doesn't have an audience in the Northeast, but it's like, all right, well, so what about the people who are interested? The closest IndyCar race to me right now is in another country, and it's in a place called Toronto, which, by the way, is like eight hours away from me. You know what I should have brought up when we, um, when we were doing the, the whole schedule idea was, what about Montreal? That would have been an interesting pick as well. I think IndyCar would really work there. But... It's too late for me to backtrack on that. But yes, race in the Northeast, please. People, Pocono. You know, Pocono, Watkins Glen, whatever you're going to do. Pocono. Pocono became should... more of a liability in, you know, their final couple of seasons than. Well, we need to do three wide starts and give them the green when they're in four and let them spread out. What a novel idea. They, they did that when they came back to Pocono and it worked. <laughs> We did the because it was because when IndyCar brought back Pocono, they also were doing uh, Fontana, so that brought back like the triple five hundred mile race thing. So we did three wide starts at all those tracks. And it was great. It's awesome. Couple Started last three wide talk. and four. It's great. Couple last talking points here before I wrap the episode up. Uh, Cam Wolfer said IndyCar has a Steinbrenner's now, which obviously that's a huge name in New York. You know, you could probably maybe swing something 
uh, on that front with them take you know, over promoting. The oh, yeah, the F1 New Jersey, of course. Go back to uh, Meadowlands. Let's do that. Mm. Oh, <laughs> that's like, that's that's literally MetLife now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it doesn't like, that doesn't like, that like can't exist, can it? No, it was a joke. Yeah, I know, but like, I was just thinking about it. Uh, and then the last thing was Macaulay Davies said maybe a track slot where it changes every year. And that was a question I was actually going to ask you when we were talking about the schedule is, would you be all right with the finale changing every every year like it does in NASCAR now? Well, it basically doesn't in NASCAR, but it should. I thought they were going to Vegas this year. No, it's Phoenix. Again? I thought Still they... Phoenix. Yeah. Oh. I thought they, they just, just like toyed. So this is something that NASCAR has like toyed with the idea, or some people have suggested it, and I agree with it. You know, because uh, here, here's what the NFL does with the Super Bowl is great, because basically what you're doing is if your city wants the Super Bowl, at this point you pretty much have to put money into renovating your stadium. Which what's that do? It makes you know across the board venues in the NFL better. Um, so if you did something like that in auto racing, where let's say, you know, Phoenix just did that big, the big renovation of moving the start finish line, the new grandstands, the new camping spots, a whole new garage, all that stuff, all the stuff they did and they got the championship finale, which, you know, if you put that much money into your track and put that much of an investment into hosting races in NASCAR, then you probably deserve it. Nobody so, in I hell mean, is pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into renovating tracks for an indie car finale, though. I'll just say that out front. We give them the incentive. <laughs> it's not going to work. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I don't know why I just went for the southern accent there, but <laughs> <laughs> nobody's going nobody's gonna to pour money into renovating. You know, the Super Bowl has quite a bit more negotiating power than IndyCar, I think. I'm not positive about that, but I'm I'm fairly certain that they do. And even NASCAR, you know. I don't think NASCAR is going to get tracks to renovate their uh, their amenities just to host the finale. You know, Phoenix kind of did it, but... I think it's just a trend that you can kind of, you know, start, you know. I don't. Just, <laughs> and then each year, take it to a different city and promote it in that city and... Even if it's a street race, even if it's a, you know, just something different, you know, every but it has year to be prime it's an idea. It has to be prime time in my house because it's just like weird to have a finale at 4 p.m. It's just my opinion. I don't know but... if it's on the West Coast, which is also dumb. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Rain Race podcast. If you've enjoyed it, I appreciate you hitting the like button. Supposedly it helps with the YouTube algorithm. I'm not too sure about that, but... You can catch us tomorrow, as I always say, on podcast platforms anywhere, whenever I get around to actually uploading that. Usually, in the past couple of weeks, it's been Wednesday, uh, like very, very early on Wednesday at like midnight, 1 a.m., that I've actually done that. So, just look around for that. It will be up there some point. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Rainers Podcast. It's the link on the screen. You can follow us on Instagram, too. Same handle at Rain Race Podcast. Once again, you can go check out Kyle's channel, which is Racing Nation TV. Should be linked in the description. And we will see you next week for another episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Hope to see you all then.